Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Teams. Now there are more ways to be a team with Microsoft Teams. Bring everyone together in a new virtual room. Collaborate live, building ideas on the same page. And see more of your team on screen at once. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Introducing Built to Last, a new podcast by American Express. I'm Elaine Welteroff, and I'm excited to host the debut season where we will be deep diving into the stories, history, and continued legacy of small businesses that shape American culture. Through these important conversations, we'll hear how the Black business leaders of our past have inspired today's Black-owned small businesses and communities. Join us for the debut season of Built to Last on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hello, everybody. Going to hop right into the show after just a couple quick date plugs so you know what's going on with me stand-up-wise. Coming up this Wednesday, I'm at the wonderful Hilarities Comedy Club in Cleveland, Ohio. Then on Thursday, I'll be in Youngstown at the West Side Bowl. Then Pittsburgh for the weekend for the SOAP Conference. It's a psychedelic science conference. I'm going to be doing comedy there. There's going to be, uh, it's called The Sleeping Octopus Assembly on Psychedelics. Soap. And uh, there's going to be, yeah, comedy, live music. There's going to be all sorts of talks from like Rick Doblin, past guest, founder of MAPS, is going to be there. All sorts of interesting folks talking about great, interesting things. Good way to meet people in your area, like-minded folks, and get a lot more information. I learn so much every time I go to one of these conferences and meet so many great people. Uh, So it's just a really big opportunity. If you can't make this one or not in the Pittsburgh area, uh, definitely keep an eye out for any kind of psychedelic uh, conferences or events in your area, even joining a meetup group. Great way to meet awesome, like-minded people. Then, uh, I will be later this month going to my hometown of La Crosse, Wisconsin. I was actually raised outside of it in a little city called Onalaska, Wisconsin, having a 20-year high school reunion, doing a show there uh, while I'm in town, as well as just across the river in Winona, Minnesota. And uh, then I have coming up in August, I'm doing it one night only in Portland at Helium, one of my favorite clubs in the country, uh, Chelan, Washington, and we can Sarasota, Florida, also added a Miami date, maybe going to add a couple other uh, Florida dates as well, and uh, put off a UK um, tour until next summer, it looks like, where we're going to line up some UK stuff. But that means for you guys in the U.S., uh, please keep checking in with me and my site because we're going to be adding more U.S. dates uh, soon. So with that, enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm talking to the Toro Company, David Lilly Chair in Organizational Behavior at the Carlson School of Management. Teresa Glom is joining me today. Teresa, thank you very much. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for inviting me into your lovely home, and and uh, I'm so glad this worked out. 
I'm excited to talk to you and my my listeners have uh, a range of various occupations, of course, and uh, I know a lot of my listeners have jobs that can sometimes be monotonous and often I'll, I'll talk to people about what they do after shows or whatever and, and sometimes people you know, have a lot of complaints and tend to focus on the negative a little bit. And I do this with my life all of the time, even though I don't, uh, I don't have a real job, according to my parents. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I sort of remember what having a real job was like, and I'm sure some of your things will apply to my, my life as well. So I'm excited. I'm excited for my listeners because you, you talk about how to make the workplace a better place, how to um, have, uh, have a more... Uh, positive experience in the workplace and uh, th- that kind of stuff, right? So, can you tell uh, can you tell us a little bit about your work? Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that I think, as an organizational psychologist, I've studied workers for a really long time, and I more recently started to look at how workers can actually do things to improve their work lives. So often, I think you know, employees are. You know, they're trying to find a better job or they're trying to move organizations instead of saying, hey, how can I put in place some small disciplines, some small habits to actually make my current work setting more more positive, more satisfying, more meaningful. And so that's where my work has been focused over the last few years, really thinking about small things that people can do. Um, I, I think often we wait for the organization to get better, right? Oh, it'll be better when I have a different boss, or it would be better if, you know, I had more money, or it would be better if I didn't have to do these work tasks. And so uh, part of my message, I think, is to workers to kind of say, hey, what can you do? How can you stop focusing on getting a good job and instead focus on making your job good? And that's not to say that there aren't horrible jobs out there. There are some really, really tough jobs that would be hard to you know, make wonderful and satisfying and, and, and pretty, pretty them up. But, um, I think for a lot of people, they can, they get really focused on the negative and stuck in, you know, what's wrong with work instead of what can be right with work and, and, you know, finding ways to bring more, more meaning and purpose into their work lives. Uh, people, you know, it's kind of well known today that people don't just, uh, find their first job and stick with it through their whole career and and the amount of time that that people spend in a given job seems seems to be getting shorter and shorter and people are taking on multiple careers these days. I know I've done that in my life when I had regular jobs and I've done that in my in my stand-up career as well. The the very thing that you've mentioned where I'll I'll achieve this particular goal and then that will be everything and then I'll mm-hmm. I'll be happy I'll be set after that and everything will be just fine it's not right now but everything will be once I take on this new like make start making documentaries or uh, you know start this podcast or whatever it might be uh you know some big change like that and and you're kind of talking about would you say some of this is kind of uh, mindfulness practice at work? I think some of it is is mindfulness practice. I think that's been an area of my research uh, over the last little while. And it's kind of funny how I got into the mindfulness space uh, some 
colleagues and I were talking about, you know, what's this mindfulness stuff? This was probably, I don't know, 12 or 15 years ago. And it felt like, you know, this is the latest thing that consultants are trying to sell, a mindfulness practice. And so we uh, we had an opportunity to write a chapter and we we basically said, you know, we don't know anything. We're going to try and you know, scour the academic literature, psychology, neuroscience. Um, we did an eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction class. We interviewed mindfulness meditators, but we started the we started with kind of the objective to sort of take it down. Like we were skeptics, and really? we really well, wanted to be 12, super. Yeah, years this is ago, a long right? time ago, so and so is, yeah. we were just like, "What is this?" Um, and after we, you know, we went through our own personal practice, and after we. Uh, spoke with meditators, and if we really started to delve into the research, there's definitely something here. So I think that, you know, when I think about bringing more of a full presence into not just your work, but your life, uh, more positive outcomes are going to occur. I mean, I always say, think about this phrase. She had the presence of mind, too. Like, Mm -hmm. nothing bad follows that, right? So when you bring presence of mind to your tasks or your life, then it just feels like good things are going to come from that. So that's that's one thing that I believe employees can be better about is being a little bit more intentional and mindful about their work. So often I think people just show up for work and they just get lost in the swirl, right? When you talk to people, how do you start your day, right? What's hap- What happens when you when you show up at work? Oh, I'll get a cup of coffee and I'll hop on email and then I'll you know, do email for a while and then, oh, I got to go to a meeting and then I go to another meeting and I got to go to the pre-meeting to plan for the later meeting. And people just kind of get sucked into things instead of backing up and saying, you know, how can I structure my day? How can I structure my tasks? What are the things that I should be involved in? What are the things that play to my strengths, play to my passions? And I just think people kind of get sucked in, like, you know, they're just like, in a canoe going down the river instead of really thinking about where they're going and and kind of bringing more intentionality. And so that's some of the things that I have been trying to uh, get at and research with my work. So many questions. One, uh, as you're talking about people arriving to work and um, just kind of going on autopilot or whatever, do you think that people are this is uh, this would probably be hard hard to say, but do you think people are m- more distracted? There's all the talk these days with phones and uh, social media. I mean, now people show up to work and they're logging into Facebook to to check out and see what their friends are doing before. Like, oh, I'll just check Facebook for for ten minutes while I'm drinking my coffee. Bef- my brain's not working yet anyway, and then they can get sucked into that and before they even start working. And then this is becoming distracting. And then, then later on, maybe I'll play a couple games of solitaire or <laughs> whatever it might be. Is that something that you see getting worse in the workplace, or has has it always been the case that people have been drifting off and daydreaming and that sort of thing? Well, I think that it has always been the case that people found ways to remove themselves from their work for on kind of like a temporary basis. And uh, we would, you know, for decades, we've been talking about this construct of work withdrawal, where people kind of withdraw from their work tasks. And, you know, it used to be, I'm going to go, you know, take a really long lunch, or maybe I'll go, you know, uh, I'll have a smoke break, or I'll go wander around and, you know, talk to people. And so I think there has always been moments where workers remove themselves from their tasks for purposes of work recovery, right? I mean, I'm not saying that you have to like focus and be 
you know, all in every second. But so I do think there are these moments where, you know, you can be focused and then go to some other task. And so part of it is this transition. So whether or not it's worse, I think it's different. I think it's different. And I think that some of the the uh, technology that we are so accustomed to that has just become part of the fabric of our work worlds are just they really suck us in. And I think that we have to really take control over them. You know, one concept I've been playing with lately, um, for, for so long, people talked about IQ, right? Intelligence quotient, like that's what's really important. And then people talked about EQ, emotion quotient, like being able to be emotionally aware and socially aware. You know, I think that maybe the next thing is AQ, attention quotient, mm. like your ability to deploy your attention in meaningful ways, your ability to hold your attention on an object for a period of time and be able to transition your attention when you need to, to something else. Um, like, I think that that's going to be a, a skill set that's really important, this idea of attention quotient. And so that is something that I think if we can, if we can be better about that and at least recognize when our attention is not fully there, uh, you know, so often I think we're just in these states of continuous partial attention at work, at home, in life. And if we can bring, if we can deploy our attention a little bit better, I think that's going to be a more satisfying work life for us. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, even in terms of taking that uh, that break and having that, I forget the wording you, you use, but kind of that rejuvenation. Mm-hmm. Um that's i mean the classic is just water cooler talk or whatever you go exactly. by the water cooler and i i've i've never had a job where people collected around <laughs> a water cooler but i i hear that's a thing and uh you know you talk about the vikings or uh whatever i'm for the listener i'm in minneapolis right now i'm i'm not talking about the ancient warrior <laughs> <so> that, um <laughs> talking about the football team but but this is uh this is also a very different experience than checking Twitter and getting angry about whatever um, is happening in the news or whatever. I mean, the water cooler, you're, you're bonding with coworkers that is uh, potentially, um, you know, it, uh, helping out some of your work relationships, right. even though you're not quote unquote, you know, working and focused mm-hmm. on a specific task at that time. Whereas now cat videos are maybe, Maybe brightening your day a, a little bit, but but a good uh, belly laugh is not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's it's hard to sell that as as um, as a kind of productive distraction uh, uh, in the same way that you know taking a break and celebrating someone's birthday and mm-hmm. having cake or whatever it seems seems like it's a much more meaningful. Uh, use of that kind of break time. Right. And I would I would completely agree with you. I think that the work relationships that we have, these these meaningful high quality relationships that we can build at work is one of the a primary source of fulfillment and satisfaction at work. The and so the, to the extent that you can, you know, use moments of recovery as opportunities to deepen social connections at work, I think, you know, I think that's a great idea. And I do feel that, you know, there has been some research that suggests that uh, people are becoming more disconnected, not just at work, but also just in general. Yeah. So in this, you know, this this time where we're all super connected, we're actually really disconnected. And and 
I mean, social connection, I mean, that's, that's why we're here, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so if we're thinking about how to take, you know, how, how to, how to build these relationships and deepen this connection, I think it's some of these things really work to isolate us instead of bring us together. Um, so the workplace has changed dramatically over mm-hmm. the last, say, hundred years. Uh, I mean, Indeed. even more dramatically over the last <laughs> yeah. few hundred years. But but there's uh, some of these, uh, some of the things of workers' rights having, just even having breaks in general mm-hmm. was something that that wasn't necessarily uh, the the employers being like, I'm going to be nice today and and give my workers a break it was it was that workplaces noticed an increase in productivity when you let people say eat lunch or or take a break mm-hmm. or whatever it might be and uh, as as you mentioned you approached some of this this mindfulness stuff as uh you know 15 years ago this was a bunch of like hippie nonsense and and now now it seems like everyone is talking about this you know, increase in focus and productivity. And you hear about these Google workplaces mm-hmm. where <laughs> you go and play in a ball pit or something or other. I'm I'm, at, <laughs> I'm imagining what the Google workplace is and I have no actual idea, but it always sounds fun when I, <laughs> when I read about it. And I have been out there to visit and it's pretty cool. Really? <laughs> yeah. Tell me pretty, about it. No, it's pretty cool. I mean, they have, they have, uh, you know, the, the famous thing is like there's food everywhere. Yeah. There's, you know, workspaces everywhere. There's places to play. There's places to rest. They have these little like egg-shaped chairs that you can go take a little nap in. And so, you know, I think that all of those things are are basically saying, you know, get what you need. Do what you need to do for you to be productive here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a there's a dark side to some of that. Like you are trying to keep people at work later, and you're trying to you know keep them. Uh, they don't have to leave campus for lunch because everything's here, and we can keep them working. So you know, you could play both sides of that argument. But I do think yeah, that now, instead of your your bed at night, now you're sleeping in an now egg. you're in an egg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a little egg. Um, but I, you know, I think that it's. I I would like to think that all of those are are really trying to honor, kind of bringing your full self to work, and you know whatever whatever you need in that work setting. And you know Google was um, definitely they have a uh, uh, they've done a, they've been very influential in kind of the mindfulness at workspace. But I think that um, you know one of the really early adopters of mindfulness at work was actually here in the Twin Cities, General Mills, which is not this you know flashy tech company, but they've been doing mindful leadership for, I don't know, decades. They've really had a, a large mindful leadership practice at General Mills for uh, for a really long time. Um, but I think, you know, the, the whole idea of mindfulness and bringing more focus, uh, it, it's, I, I believe that it does bring task focus. But one of the things that my, uh, my colleagues, uh, Joyce Bono and Michelle Duffy, and I, when we were doing these meditation, these uh, interviews with mindfulness meditators, we were struck by people telling us about how it changed their relationships. We went in thinking people are going to say they're super focused on their tasks and like they're getting more done and they're you know, super productive. We didn't really hear much about that. What we really heard was how it changed 
their relationships at work and how, uh, you know, it helped how they managed conflicts or how they were able to take someone's perspective that they, you know, they or see something a different way. And so that's actually something we're working on now is really um, exploring the role of mindfulness and improving social relationships at work. Hmm. Um, that's, I, I wonder how, <laughs> it's just uh, the, the world is changing. So if I, I picture five, 10 years from now, I'm going to walk by a construction site and there's going to be all these like tough guy construction workers out there <laughs> like doing yoga and and you know sitting sitting there doing their ohms and and that sort of thing but uh that is um uh that's an important po- point in terms of Im- improving social relationships mm-hmm. and this is uh this is a lot of people have a, a very difficult time balancing uh, family life and and work relationships as well. Is there uh, is there any um, in terms of specific studies that you're doing? Have how do you go about studying people's relationships at work and and how yeah. coworkers' relationships yeah. affect them? But what are are you doing? Like surveys? Are you so I'll tell you about two, uh, two studies. So in one, we are do- in the one study is a qualitative study where we're basically interviewing people about their relationships and just really, you know, hearing some wonderful stories. But there's another study, uh, that was, uh, the doctoral dissertation of Tao Yang, one of my students who, uh, this was a really neat study. We went into a healthcare clinic and we did a, uh, we randomized the healthcare workers to one of two conditions, a, like a small 10 minute audio mindfulness intervention at the start of their work shift or a 10 minute like a wellness podcast. So that was the the um, manipulation. And we studied these people for about three weeks. And while we were studying, you know, and asking them about, you know, stress and what, what their workload was like and everything we would do the several times a day, we would we would kind of sample from their experiences. We were also tracking their patients' reports of how responsive they were how well they took their perspective, how flexible they were in terms of how to treat their symptoms. And what was what was really cool about this study is the patients reported that the participants in the mindful condition were more able to take their perspective. They were more able to be flexible in their responding. They were more attentive. And these patients don't know anything about the study, right? right. So to me, that's really compelling that we're that that these workers actually interacted differently with their patients after being part of the mindfulness intervention. It was just a small mindfulness intervention. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other thing too in a lot of my work. Um, you know, I, I, and in the mindfulness literature, there's sort of a debate about, you know, well, is this good to have this sort of secular view of mindfulness, right? Where, um, and we could, you know, talk about that. But I think for a lot of people, they're not going to go sit on a cushion for an hour. Like that's just not going to happen, right? And so part of my goal is to get people to think about, well, what are some small things you can do? And that's where I like to think about micro interventions. Like what are small small practices that you can put in place to just bring more mindfulness and more intentionality to your work life? And, you know, and and those practices don't need to be, you know, these these huge things, but just small things that you can kind of put into your work world. So I'll give you one example. You know, one thing that uh, 
that I recommend and that works really well for me is this idea of like parking downhill. So like think about when you see a car, when you're in a car parked downhill and you take your foot off the brake, you get going, right? Mm -hmm. So how can you park downhill with your work tasks? How can you quickly enter your work task so that you can get momentum and, um, you know, and kind of get into these moments of sort of like deep work and flow? Because we know from our research that people are in really good moods when they're immersed in their work, when they're making meaningful progress on their work. And the problem is our work settings aren't always structured so that people can kind of get into their work because they're always being interrupted or their email's coming in or they got to run to a meeting. And so how can you park downhill so you can quickly enter your work tasks? So for me, what that means is, you know, as I'm kind of closing down work for the day, I'll think about What's the next thing I need to do when I wake up in the morning? You know, maybe I need to read a dissertation or work on a lecture or whatever it is. And I just have that ready to go, like open on my computer. And I don't look at email. I try not to look at email. Sometimes I check on my phone and just, you know, give it a quick glance. But, and I just get to work, get to work for 60 to 90 minutes is what the research would suggest is kind of a, a chunk of time that our brains can be kind of fully fired on something. Mm-hmm. And, um, and after that 60, 90 minutes, that's when I, you know, hop on email and check it for a little bit. And so just this little simple practice of instead of, you know, sort of creating moments where you can have deep work and have unitasking rather than trying to do 27 things at once um, really can help people feel more productive and powerful at work. So just even like a simple, small thing like that. Now, is that mindfulness? No, not like in a strict way, but it's bringing a more mindful approach and a more intentional approach to our work. Mm. I think, you know, there's all these books and, you know, seminars and stuff on time management. And I'm a big proponent of intention management. Like, what are your intentions for the day? What are your intentions for the week? What are you, um, you know, are you spending your your time on work tasks in a way that's commensurate with the impact that those those tasks have. So, you know, so often I think we we spend a lot of time, you know, maximizing our effort on something that isn't super important. You know, it might just have to get done, right? Mm. And so how can we think about even our tasks that like what's what requires a minimum level of effort, moderate level of effort, maximum level of effort, and just being a little bit more discerning about how we allocate our time and energy and, and cognitive resources across our work tasks. So all that's sort of just becoming a little bit more intentional about how we're working. Okay, well, I have uh, I I have a challenge for you. Oh uh, boy, <laughs> my, my life. Oh. <laughs> I got you here. You're the expert. Oh. I might as well. You didn't yeah, tell me there's going to be a challenge. Th- this is yeah. I mean, I mean, sure, we could. Uh, I have a a bunch of listeners in a lot of occupations, and and we could give them a bunch of tips to uh, help the listeners' life. Sure, that's all. That's all well and fine, but. I want help, help too. <laughs> I, I'm here. Uh, uh, why don't I break down? I have, I have some tasks I have to do mm-hmm. this week. I'm a guy. I have trouble uh, getting, getting started. I like to just uh, be like, well, reading is productive. I'll, I'll read this, this book. I'll do that <laughs> because that's the more enjoyable of the tasks that I, that I have to do. I'll often, I'll often say, I'll often wake up at. Um, say nine ten a.m. or something like that. I have shows at night, and I'll be like, "Well, my brain doesn't work that well until noon anyway, so I'll I'll kind of wait to get started until after that time, and maybe I 
often will what do I do? Check Twitter or emails or something in the morning. So here's here's what I have to do this week. I have a I have a TV show pitch that I'm working on um, that I need to kind of put together this structured one page uh, summary of what that is. I have uh, I have one podcast each day about while I'm here that I have to hopefully spend. Uh, a few hours researching uh, each each guest um, that may not be possible this week with the shows that I have, but uh, that's that's the ideal. Um, I have uh, I have my own stand up that certainly in an ideal world it would be nice to spend an hour or two writing. I have shows at night that I the shows are kind of like a no no brainer. I have to be there at a certain time. I get up and do the task and think of a few new things that I have to uh, try out to make it a little fun for me. Um, and I have email bookings. I, I have to, to ensure that I have work, uh, you know, for four to six months from now, I need to start emailing um, some clubs for uh, kind of soliciting for work at uh, for the second half of the year. This is on top of that. I have to make sure that I uh, don't, um, you know, have meaningful conversations with my girlfriend each day, so that I, so that I can maintain a healthy relationship from afar. And boy, it would be nice if I got a workout in, or maybe made it to the rock gym, um, got a little exercise in, and uh, and meditating for for 10 minutes a, a day is is fairly easy for me to get to um but uh this is you know it's it starts out with like oh if i can just do this one thing a day or whatever and then i and then i quickly see that like oh i i should do some some paperwork to uh to track my bills to keep track of that for taxes you know there's just this never ending list of things but those are those are the main things that i have to do this week so so i as someone who i definitely takes me like three hours to get going in a day oftentimes to 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 finally sit down and like put pen to paper okay i'm gonna sit down and put some some of my material together or read through old notes see if i can create some some new material or work put some work in on this new stand-up show that i'm that I'm working on. Do you have any? Uh, you have any tips? I I know I'm really putting you on the spot here. I have a, a well, different occupation than a lot of people. Yeah, and I think the tips, though, I I think the thing that that some of the the tips that I would give you are the tips that I would give any of your listeners. And mm-hmm. um, you know, when I when I speak to audiences, I always talk about the ideas that I'm going to give them. I want them to think about it like panning for gold, right? So like some of this stuff is going to fall away. You're going to be like, I would never do that or that doesn't work for my job or that wouldn't work in my organization. But there's always some nuggets that are going to resonate with you that would be helpful. And and you might go, okay, I might try that. So let me let me pepper you with a couple of ideas and you can and you can see uh which of these might uh resonate so one of the things it sounds that might be helpful to you and i think is helpful to a lot of people is um sort of setting up your week and your day so for example i'll give an example um you know i have i have two kids we've got you know busy lives and uh we have a weekly meeting 
every Sunday we kind of kind of go through the week. Like here's what's happening this week. Here are the special events. Here's here's sort of like what's happening. And so one of the things I would say for you is could you have a weekly meeting with yourself where you really sort of structure and think about what are the things that I need to accomplish? How do I allocate my time in ways that are that are meaningful? How do I make sure that I don't that I have like chunks of time where I can work probably especially when you're writing a new show, you you know that's not going to be done 10 minutes here, 10 minutes that maybe it is, but like more often you want kind of chunks where you can immerse yourself in the work. So thinking about setting up the week and being a little bit more intentional. Um, and then thinking about even breaking that down on a day level. So I know an executive who she has a, she has like a 10 minute meeting with herself every morning and she just, she sort of goes through her day and thinks about what she needs to get set up, what she needs to accomplish, you know, anything she can, how she might structure something. Okay. I need to make that call. I'm going to do that here and just really intentional about how she's sort of spending the the time. So so I think some of it comes into planning and uh depending on how you operate with a calendar, I think so often people will say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'll do that project or I'll, you know, for me I'll I would often get a request, "Hey, can you read a paper for me?" and I'd say, "Sure, I'll read a paper." But then that person would, you know, reach out a week later and be like, "Hey, how's that coming?" I never put it on my calendar, like so it never happened. And so oh I'm, boy, that's my life. I'm one of these like, yeah, live and die by my calendar. So like when something comes lands in my inbox, I don't let it sit there in my inbox. I will go to my calendar and say, okay, let me put a couple of hours, you know, for that on the calendar, and it, then I'm blocking my time. And then I know, like, yeah, I can read that paper for you, but it's going to be two weeks or three weeks, you know, just because the way the schedule is. So those are some things that are more around like thinking about your intentions and thinking about how you manage time. I uh, have never done thought, any of those things. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I, I've, I've definitely thought like, what am I going to do today at the mm-hmm. start of a day and planned out a day? I don't think I've ever planned out a week before yeah. <laughs> outside of like looking like, okay, I, I have a flight on Thursday and I come back mm-hmm. on Sunday or, you know, something pretty basic like that. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I think also, there are routines too. Like, like, I don't know if there's like, um, for me, I try to think about how to make my work less fractured. So I'll have days where I am jam-packed with meetings and those are like my meeting days and I just know that I'm not going to get any writing or research done. And then I have other days where those are my days where I I strictly work on my own research and mm-hmm. writing. And, you know, I, they one semester they were, it was Fridays. So I would call them Science Fridays after the NPR. Like, those are my Science Fridays. And so structuring days and times like that where you can kind of get into uh, a routine and a cadence and you kind of know how those things are going to go is also, I think, a really helpful habit to have. And also, if you can think about uh, triggers to get into the work. So... Uh, thinking about where you work best. So it might be a home, it might be a coffee shop, it might be a library, but thinking about how to, how to cue yourself. And, you know, for me, it'd be you like You aren't going to tell me I have shopping. to get out of bed, are you? <laughs> <Because>. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, wherever, right? It's But it's, it's just bringing more bringing more uh, thought and intentionality into kind of where where those spaces might be. Um, I know someone who has a candle. And every time she light, she writes, she lights that candle. And it's sort of just this even, you know, it's it's a cue that, mm. that that's now I'm in my work mode. You know, now I'm in my work zone. So just 
again, a little bit more thoughtfulness to it. I think I need a candle. Yeah, get a candle. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a candle when you leave. <laughs> I, wonderful. I, I wasn't going to ask, but since you offered. Yeah, I got candles. Uh, we'll give you a candle. I, I, well, I do. Uh, I do genuinely. I do, I think, too much work in bed, and I've been meaning to. Uh, I, I'm a very casual uh, person. I'm I'm a I'm a fan of comfort, <laughs> and and I I sometimes realize that I'm making things a little too comfortable for myself. And I I think that sometimes, even though I don't need to leave the house that day, I, I think to be more productive, just to get up, shower, change my clothes, and go and sit at at a desk would be a, a better cue. I do that sometimes, and it mm-hmm. seems like a much more productive cue for uh, someone that I, I'm not sure what uh, what it's uh, uh, what your life is like, but but I have a very I have a lot of freedom outside of outside of having to be at a show at a yep. certain time. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of freedom, and my work requires a lot of self discipline. I could I could not I could not write anything for stand up for months if i wanted to i would uh, but i would eventually pay some long term consequences mm-hmm. of having not turned over you know a new show or you know uh, better my my act or material you know and uh and, and so but it's really hard to sense that in the day to day once in a while when i can i i'm i'm not even a big tv watcher but sometimes i'm like I can show billions on Showtime is out with a new season and I I might uh, I might binge watch that for a little while Mm -hmm. and I can do that and but but then days and weeks can slip away pretty pretty easily on me so maybe maybe a little cue like that that's that's something. A, I'm going to try something. that one. I'm going to try the cue. You know, the other thing that I often tell people is before you kind of embark on this is do a little bit of analysis of how you do spend your time. And I think people are shocked at how, where their time goes at work. So, and it can be, there are apps that help you do this. Like a um, time diary kind like of Like a thing? time diary. It can be as simple as a, you know, a piece of paper and a pencil. Mm. Like just write sort of what, how you're switching tasks and how long it takes you before you jump back on email and, and people are just amazed. And the other thing I think this helps is identify one of the big themes that I think can make you more satisfied at work. Um, and because it's not all about productivity, you know, I'm really after well-being and satisfaction and, and meaning. One of the things that I think is helpful is to think about ways to make your work less fractured. So we're always like, okay, I'm, you know, running from a meeting or I have a call or I have a project. And so if you track your time for a week, you might start to see like, okay, you know, here's this big project I'm working on. And I have, you know, the meeting on Monday and then we have a conference call on Wednesday and then I have work, you know, dedicated to it on Thursday. Like, what if I could get all that happening in one day so that my my brain is fully focused on this one thing and I can kind of get momentum and and get sort of deeply immersed in this work? Um you might find in your time diary that you basically get interrupted by the same person every day, like two or three times a day. Like maybe that means you need a daily status and then that person doesn't interrupt you in some way that, you know, isn't productive for you, but you can be more structured and planned. And, you know, one of the things um, along with a colleague, Sophie Leroy, we've looked at interruptions and 
you know, again, this idea of micro interventions, interruptions, you think you're switching gears to the next task, but you're not like you're it's it's a concept called attention residue and you still have this residue of attention to whatever task you were leaving. And so we tested a small micro intervention called the ready to resume intervention where we basically had people do something really simple. They just wrote down where when they were interrupted with a task, they wrote down where they were with the task and how they were going to resume the task. Really simple. It took like a minute. Mm. And that completely mitigated the effects of the interruption so that they were able, they didn't have this attention residue. Just, Wait, can you, can sure. you explain that one more okay. time? Was I moving too fast? No, <laughs> so, I was, I was like, sometimes I get really interested and I'm like, oh, I'm going to use that. But then I like, it was Drift gone. off okay. thinking okay. about how I'm going to So yeah. if you think about people moving from task A to task B, uh-huh. um, when people move from task A to task B, the the idea is that that task B is, you know, my I can fully shift my attention and focus to that task B. But we know from the literature that that's just not true. Like there's that task A is still working in your cognition. And so what uh, Sophie and I did was we had a we had a study where the um during that during that interruption yeah. during that transition the the participants simply noted where they were and how they were going to be ready to resume that task that task a mm-hmm. and so th- cognitively they were able to kind of close that door to that task so it wasn't still working for them as they shifted their attention to task B. So just a little simple practice like that of how you're going to resume the work would be helpful as well. So if you're, you know, if you're working on something and you got to go to a meeting, making a couple notes to yourself about your next steps. Um, There are stories of famous authors who will stop writing in the middle of a sentence because they know exactly how they're going to reenter the work. Uh Um, So again, it's, it's all kind of about sort of the transitions and how, we can think about, you know, bringing, uh, you know, transitioning tasks uh, in a more in a way that's more intentional than just kind of like, okay, I'm on to the next thing. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to have to use that parking downhill metaphor more yeah. in my in my life. Um, I I also I like to think that there's uh, there's someone. Um, that there's someone in your life who interrupts you a lot that you are that you're hoping they're listening to this episode and that you're giving them a subtle hint, Frank. <laughs> yeah. If you'll stop calling me with that, your yeah, your to do exactly. list. Well, the uh, other the other hint I always give people, and this isn't I have no research on this, but um, I always say when someone is if someone is interrupting you in person and they're like coming into your office space, stand up. Because you're signaling to that person, like, we're not going to have this lengthy meeting at a time that's super convenient for you. Like, uh, like, let's figure out what we need to do. And, um, and it, it sort of signals to that person that it's an interruption. Now, obviously, you can't do that all the time, but, um, but it's another way to sort of deal with some of these, a small little, small little way to deal with some of these interruptions. I have t- I have kept a di- time diary limited times before. I'd like to again. I'm always I'm always uh intimidated by the idea of it because I'm I'm always uh I I think I can be a little hard on myself sometimes or maybe not hard enough um as my my father would say. But uh <laughs> but, but I I think that sometimes um I'm like, oh, I don't even want to know all of the time. No, that I'm you don't. <laughs> but, but when I have, I 
there's been times that I've taken used a time diary and I found that just doing that made me so much more productive mm-hmm. and accountable. Yeah. And I even, I even sometimes I'll, I'll even show you here. It's, it's so silly. I sometimes I have like these little gold stars that in your I'll, wallet, you in my wallet. Stars. Yeah. That wow. I, that I, here, I just you get, got a gold you're, star you're the second guest ever to get a gold <laughs> star. I don't, I don't just give those things away. Uh, I sometimes like put, if I like really knock out a task or something, I'll put a little gold <laughs> a little star on, my, I on love it. my diary. It feels really stupid to do, but I don't know. I, 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 love I it. like doing it. Is there well, any, is there any like reward kind of things? Like you hear about people having like, a Hershey kiss or, you know, whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, and I think that that's part of it. I don't want, I wouldn't want any of your listeners to, um, go away with the idea that like you have to be focused at work and, you know, just hardcore all the time. Because I think that if you are, then it allows for all these other, you know, uh, other things to happen. Right. So, so if you can be focused at work and leave work and say, I put in an amazing day, then you can go home and, you know, be fully present for other things in your life, right? For, for times of play and times of recovery and times with, you know, with others. So I think that's really what this is about is like just thinking about how to be a little bit more, I don't want to say compartmentalized, but if you're, if you can show up fully present at work, then you can, then, then those energies can, um, allow you to show up more fully present in the other parts of your life, you know? And I think there's, there's just so many, again, like small little things. Like for me, you, you just, you, when you, Shane, when you talked about all the things you need to do, you could put together a list of like 81 things, right? That you need to accomplish and you're not going to do 81 things today. And so, you know, one other, another suggestion for you is to think about, okay, like what's the one thing that I need to accomplish today? And then I'm going to maniacally go after that, like a crazy person. And in between, and you know, if you're in a work world, in between every meeting, I'm going to keep going back to that task. In between, you know, if I only have 10 minutes, I'm going to keep going back to it. You know, maybe you say, I'm not leaving until I finish this. Or, you know, sometimes that helps me is just to think about, I can't think about the other 86 things that I need to do on my 87, you know, thing list, but I can think about this one thing. Mm -hmm. And if I get that one thing accomplished, that feels good. And I'm able to, you know, feel some sense of satisfaction and reward. And, you know, another thing is, is, uh, sometimes I will say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on this for an hour and even like setting a timer, especially if it's a task that I don't really want to do, like I'm not super excited about. I'm just gonna say, I'm going to give this an hour. And at the end of the hour, I'm just going to be done with it. And wherever it is, I'm just going to, you know, fo- finish it up, polish it off and ship it off. So there's other things I think that we can do to just say this is something that needs to happen. And, you know, let's make it happen. I can handle an hour. I can do an hour on this. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I have the uh, uh, one of my business partners, Ramin Nazer, who does the website for the show. And he's just he, great. He makes all these comic books that are like very kind of philosophical and he has this nice nice little uh um piece of of art of this uh this drawing of uh, of a guy on top and it's like try to do 10 things you'll do none and there's you know balls lying around everywhere and uh, Mm -hmm. try to do one thing and you'll do 
you'll do 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is definitely like once you get that momentum, you get one thing checked off and you start like, oh, okay, I'm, hey. I'm doing things. <laughs> Look at me. Yeah. And it uh, feels good. I mean, that's and that's what our research would say. Our research would say that, you know, when you're making meaningful progress on your work, it actually feels really good. So I just think you need to we all need to think about how to structure our work setting so that we get more of those moments. What about, there's something that like even even the easiest task like when i when i have to do something seems to be i i i don't know if this is just my naturally rebellious nature or something like if i have to prepare for a podcast i want to write stand up instead if i have to write stand up mm-hmm. i want to prepare for a podcast instead even just doing the intros for this podcast each week all it is i have to sit in front of a microphone for a minute plug my upcoming shows or whatever it's it's not hard there's really nothing to it and for whatever reason this is just this intensely painful mm-hmm. thing that i have to like oh i don't want to spend the five minutes to set up the equipment to think about to uh, the you know 30 seconds it takes me to think of something to say and and it's such an easy task I'm like why mm-hmm. Why can't I do this one stupid little thing? And my editors sending me emails asking me for the the intros and outros and and, and it, I mean, what what is that? What's what up? Is, uh, what yeah? What <laughs> yeah. what is up with that? Just uh, like I I mean, because it seems it makes sense when you have this this uh, you, you know you you have to some work task that's like climbing Mount Everest mm-hmm. or something like that, that seems impossible. And of course you, you might not look forward to it. And when you're like, yeah, okay, now it's, it's time to go and pick up all the, all of the empty, all the trash cans at work. And this is this unpleasant experience. And yeah, you, you're going to perk out. But why these, yeah. why these things that even things that you enjoy doing right. normally? Right. Why? why? Yeah. You know, I, it's interesting. Uh, I, I'm one of the, I'm reminded of a study um, that uh, we did, uh, some colleagues, uh, Patty Dom, Sophie Leroy, Colleen Manchester. We um, looked at how people allocated their time to their tasks and we asked them, how like how do you want to spend your time at work across these buckets of tasks like here's 100 points allocate them and how do how do you actually spend your time and as you might expect there was like a disconnect between how people wanted mm-hmm. to spend their time and how they actually spent their time and one of the things we found was that when people were feeling depletion they were more likely to have a larger disconnect right so when i'm feeling depleted and so one question for you is like uh, you know, if when you're feeling tired or when you're feeling low energy or you're feeling, you know, stressed about other things, it might be harder for you to get those things done. It might be easier for you to get knocked off your goals, if you will. And this disconnect, this discrepancy operated in a really interesting way. People were less likely to allocate their time to tasks that were more complex, that had sort of a uh, a longer time horizon, sort of the stuff you're mentioning, like these bigger more complicated tasks, people are just like, oh, I can't do that. I'm going to go do this other easy thing. 
And so, and those, and, and when people had these discrepancies between how they wanted to allocate their time and how they did allocate their time, they were less satisfied. They were, they had less job satisfaction. They had, you know, poorer well-being. Um, it even influenced their salary. So, so to the extent that we can find greater alignment between how we would like to spend our time and, and actually making that happen. Now it requires, you know, self-regulation and, and, you know, in some of these little, you know, tips and practices, but, it is the case that it's, especially when we're feeling kind of depleted. Um, and I think a lot of people show up at work feeling kind of depleted, uh, and just, you know, and tired and fatigued and other things. It's really easy to knock us off our goals. Really easy. So, uh, I, I'm going to, after my show tonight, I'm going to call my girlfriend and, uh, and each of us are going to ask one another, you know, what, what'd you do? How was work today? Uh, in terms of when you, when you go about reflecting on your workday and and how how things went, is, is there because that's that's a time you're telling yourself a story about about the work that you did that day. Is there uh, is there any research out there in in terms of uh, the the story that you should try to tell yourself? What you should focus on, you know, focusing on, um, yeah, you, you know the. the some people just are like, well, there was a traffic jam on the yep. way to work. It mm-hmm. ruined my whole day. Uh, whereas some people will, um, you know, my girlfriend has, is a social worker. She has days where I say, oh, I was able to help this person right. get new orthopedic shoes or whatever it is mm-hmm. that they need and, and this real sense of, uh, of fulfillment. So these, these stories can be, can be very different, but it, it also might be, both of those things might happen in the in the same day, and and your interpretation of how the day is might might just be what you, uh, what was salient, what you what you focused on that day. Absolutely, and we we just as humans, our tendency is to focus on the negative, and people have talked about it as the asymmetry effect or the bad is stronger than good effect. Like we pay attention to negative things in our environment, and. It, it's probably it comes from evolution, right? We, we, we talk about the negativity yeah, bias. Yeah, we talk about exactly the negativity bias, right? You have to pay attention to negative things and threats in your environment. Um, but what happens is like you could have 20 things happen to you today and 19 of them go just fine. And what's the one that you're going to focus on? What's the one that you're going to go home and tell your your spouse or partner or friend about or what you're going to what are you going to ruminate on? It's that one thing. And the other 19 things, you know, you don't really give any thought to. And so um, actually, we we were troubled by this because at work, there's so much good stuff that happens. I mean, our research would suggest that there's tons of good stuff that happens at work, but we really focus on the negative. We tend to go to the negative. And in a study uh, that I did conducted with colleagues, we we implemented a, a very simple practice from positive psychology, the three good things practice. And the three good things is just a, a reflection exercise that asks you to think about the three good things that happened to you today and why they happened. And we took this into a work setting, and at the end of uh, people's workday, we asked them to reflect on three good things that happened to them and why they happened. And, you know, we heard great stories, we heard great examples, but what we were really interested in is whether or not this simple practice would have well-being benefits, and it did. So when people went through this intervention, they had uh, less stress in the evening, they had fewer... um, 
physical complaints like headaches and backaches. They had fewer mental complaints like difficulty concentrating. They could detach from their work easier. And in some of our analysis, it even lowered their blood pressure. So just this really simple practice of reflecting on the good had pretty powerful effects on employees' well-being. So so back to your point about, you know, thinking about our, our work lives, how can we bring uh, reorient workers to think about the positive things? And, you know, you might do this in meetings, think about like what's going on good uh, before we start, you know, hashing all the things that are going wrong. Um, uh, I know someone who does sort of like a Friday newsletter. And in that newsletter, they talk about kind of wins for the team. Um, There's also research, not our research, but other research um, that has shown that sharing these things also amps up the positive, uh, the positive good stuff that we get from reflecting on these positive experiences. And so I think that's one thing that if we can, if we can, because we really have to work against the negativity bias, it's so strong. Mm -hmm. And so if there's practices and principles that you can put into place. So for, for me, um, you know, I have a stack of good things journals and, um, I do this practice. Most of them are good things or, or funny stories, things my kids said or did. Um, you know, and then when I look back years later, I have to say it's one of the most fun things to do to sit on the couch and read some of these stories with the kids. And, it keeps you in that moment a little bit because you're you're encoding it. You're thinking like, okay, how now? I want to make sure I, I I write this down. So what exactly did she say, or what exactly did he say? You know, um, and so when I when I'm in that moment, I'm kind of I'm staying in that moment a little bit more and and encoding it in my memory by writing about it. So so the three good things is a is a, is not our practice again it's it's a positive psychology practice but it's I think a pretty powerful way to think about how to reorient towards more positive experiences in in not just in work but in life as well. So I can do this not just for myself but perhaps I can I can uh, prime this out of my out of my girlfriend. I can yeah. ask her what what was something positive that happened today. Yeah, and I think you know you said she's a social worker. I think one of the things that's uh, that that our research has also shown, and other research as well, is that if you can can have these pro social links to your work, it's much it's very meaningful, right? So so f- sometimes with with workers, there's not like a clear line of sight between here's the work that I do and here's the benefit to other people. Um, and s- social work, it's there's a very clear line of sight between I'm helping people, right? But I think about a company, a local company like Medtronic. Medtronic makes medical devices. And, you know, if you're like an accountant at Medtronic, you may not think about the work in a way that touches people's lives every couple of seconds, right? Like, um, but Medtronic does things as an organization to try and show people that pro-social benefit. So like every year they have a big holiday party where they bring people in and uh, ask patients to tell their stories about how their lives were changed or saved by the Medtronic devices. I've never attended this event, but I'm told by others like, it's so moving for people. And there's just like people are crying and there's tears because they get like, I'm part of this. And so to the extent that we can think of ways to connect our 
our work and and who benefits and see that, um, that's another way, I think, a path toward greater satisfaction and meaning at work. So, you know, I think um, when I think about my research and I think about kind of the themes and what we should do, the the... I often talk about our family motto. The family motto is kind of the, are my research pillars. Work hard, have fun, choose kind, be present. Work hard, have fun, choose kind, be present. And it's something that, you know, I say when I drop off my kids, Andrew and Catherine, every day, I say, work hard, have fun, choose kind, be present. And they say it back to me. And we go about our days in this really intentional way. And it wasn't until much later that I thought about this as like, wow, that's my research. Like, that's how I think about how to improve people's work lives. You know, it's it's about working hard and getting immersed in the work that you do. It's about having fun and, you know, finding the positive things in your work environment. It's about um, choosing kind and figuring out how to connect with others at work. And it's about being present and being present for those work tasks. And so, you know, I think a lot of the, a lot of the activities and little kind of life hacks, micro interventions fall in those buckets. Mm. That is a perfect time to end. And I'm also not going to end there because I have one more question <laughs> oh, <that's okay. laughs> because it's like it's going well, to edit weigh, it it's just going move to, it around it's going to weigh up <laughs> yeah that okay. was just like the absolute perfect closing and I'm really uh, going to be a professional <laughs> host and and ask like uh, now a, a hard pressing uh, question that is maybe a little toward the negative cynical side what, what if uh what if someone's listening and they have their job they're going into their job today at uh at their um hip coffee shop that it, they're gonna punch into work and there's a line a mile long and and they're just gotta get right to steaming those lattes and they they don't have a free second and they're just steaming lattes and mm-hmm. putting the uh, these horrible pre-made sandwiches in their uh, little oven slash microwave uh, things uh, <laughs> and putting them in the paper wrapper and passing them off as a decent meal uh, and and this is just it's it's all consuming Constant, you yeah. don't you don't have mm-hmm. time to think of is there anything for a, t- yeah. <laughs> a task like that? You that- know, I think there, I would think, I would I would circle back to thinking about the kind of the human element and the human connection. Because I think, you know, so often when you do go into a coffee shop, there are those relationships that get built or are, there are those moments where you're, you're actually, uh, you know, part of someone's morning or part of someone's, you know, uh, their they haven't seen their friend in a while and they come in and they get coffee, right? And so how do you think, how do you kind of reframe or, 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 or kind of craft your cognitions about the work that you do in new ways? So it's not just, you know, tossing the bad breakfast sandwich in the microwave. You're, you know, you're helping to, you know, you're helping to create an experience for people that, you know, because they're coming to your coffee shop. Um, now I, I don't want to make it seem like, I don't know, brainwashing or something like, you know, and taking a, a, a crummy job and making it good. But I think that there are there are moments where people can connect with others in a setting like that. And there are moments where you can say, you know, the work that I'm doing is important to people and it is valuable. And um, and, you know, and part of it's on us as people who go and get coffee 
to to have that connection, right? Um, one of the things I often tell my kids when we go out to dinner or something like that, I'll I will ask them, uh, what color eyes does the white person have? Oh man, yeah, that is a right? tough one. <laughs> That's a tough one, right? Because so often we're just in our own space, and yeah. so even just something simple like huh. stopping and and asking in a genuine, authentic way, "How is your day going?" And so I don't know, that maybe puts it back on us a little bit. But I think that we, I mean, back to kind of why we're here on the planet, connecting with others and and recognizing the impact that we might have on one another's lives. Well, happy barista day, everybody. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Figure out, yeah, that's a good challenge for all your listeners. Next time you order a cup of coffee, see if you can detect the eye color of your barista. Well, you you crushed that question. You really <laughs> you really nailed it. Uh, I have my guests each week name a, a charity or nonprofit of their choice. Uh, okay. And- um well, mine is Army of Women and can I tell a little bit about of why? Course. Okay. So, um about oh, 7 years now, um I had a shocker phone call where they said you have breast cancer. And, um, I was 39 years old and no family history, you know, just, it really was a shocker. And what that did for me, I actually, it was interesting because it took this very academic pursuit of satisfaction and happiness and well-being, and it became intensely personal. And I started to get really, uh, thoughtful and intentional about kind of how, how I live my life. And I remember during that time, a colleague said to me, um, or I said to a colleague, like, gosh, this is crazy, but I'm so less stressed having cancer <laughs> than when I just am normally at work because like everything fell away. Like I didn't spend time on stupid things. And like, um, and my colleague looked at me and she said, that is really effed up, you know, and I thought, yeah, it kind of is like here I am this researcher who studies well-being and stress and other things. And I needed cancer like to tell me to get a little bit more uh, intentional. So anyway, um, so that 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 experience has, you know, shaped how I live my life, how I think about work, how, you know, the outreach that I'm trying to do and in, in bringing the scholarship and, and these practical disciplines to audiences. Um, because I do feel that there are, you know, small things that we can do. And the reason I like Army of Women is in addition to just sort of an advocacy, they're really about science. So they are trying to come up with an army of women uh, female participants for their research studies on uh, breast cancer. And so I love the idea of bringing the science. And so often as a researcher, I know how difficult it is to get participants. And so if you sign up for the Army of Women, every once in a while, you'll get an email and it'll say, we're looking for women in Minneapolis who are between 45 and 50. And, you know, here's some characteristics. And so it's it's trying to uh, grow the research base. base. So... That's, That's fantastic. Yeah. And it, so well, sign up uh, if you're a woman. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, uh, and you can support if you're a male as well. Yes. Um, and that's that's a nice little uh, message about making making each day a little more meaningful and our limited time on this uh, on this planet as well. So yeah. uh, so thank you, Theresa, for 
for uh, joining me today. Well, thank you, Shane. It's been a pleasure speaking with you about this. Yeah, and uh, and, and listeners, I, I hope you gained as much from this as as I did, or at least hope to. In my mind, I just gained all the... Now I, just, now I have to start implementing these things and, and uh, taking advantage of that uh, that pepper. Um, but uh, this this was fantastic and so important. And so thank you listeners for being such wonderful, curious people and for spreading the word and tuning in each week. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you. Next week on the show, I'm talking with Associate Professor of Psychology and Computer Science at the University of Minnesota. Paul Schrader joins me. We have a terrific conversation about the future and artificial intelligence. What artificial intelligence, but computer science, computer programming, what they can tell us about how our own minds work, about what limitations and possibilities we might have within our own minds, what uh, possibilities for artificial intelligence there might be in the future, what hurdles we're going to have to overcome, pros and cons, what what jobs in the future are going to be safe from the immediate um, technological advances, and we just pack so much into a very, very short um, conversation. It's, well, it's a regular episode, but just so, so much content in in just like 50 minutes time is incredible. I think you guys are going to love it. I'm hoping to have lots more conversation about things like artificial intelligence, about things like the future and our uh, human trajectory uh, as the show continues to move forward and go into the future itself. Fascinating stuff. Wish I knew more about it. And now I get to by seeking out knowledgeable people like Paul Schrader. Make sure and tune in for this one next week. And also, if you're interested in the Jamaica Psilocybin Retreat, it is unfortunately fully booked for December now. The, uh, the Here We Are Retreat is fully booked. In fact, all of the retreats, and this uh, Eric with Michael Meditations adds some, are booked uh, for the year. And so if you are trying to still sneak into my, maybe send an email, there might be a dropout or a space left for one or two more. Um, if you beg and you plead, but I have uh, decided to sign on, um, as a, uh, facilitator for a retreat early next April. Those dates will be confirmed, uh, very soon. And on the Myco meditations site, uh, we're not going to call it a, here we are, uh, retreat just because the way it's been working there's been um, there's been a, a decent number of, of here we are listeners but then there's just been other outsiders um, interested in, in the retreats open to the public as well so I don't want to fe- make anyone feel uh, excluded and I have um, people who know me from uh, you know my many converse the psychedelic kind of conversations on podcasts like uh, P. Holmes and Joe Rogan and Duncan Trussell and and that sort of thing. So, um, so the idea is we're going to try it without booking it as a here we are retreat, just booking it as me as a one of the facilitators and an entertainer there as a um, bit of a bonus for people interested in that retreat, and um, and that way people don't have to feel um, obligated to 
be up to date with all of uh, everything that I do in this podcast. So, uh, just a quick update for you. But if you are interested in checking out a retreat, um, again, they, Eric at Michael Meditations does at least one a month. Um, so there's going to be a lot of possibilities for 2019. But if you want to come hang out with me, uh, I fancy myself a, a pretty helpful a facilitator and i'm learning more the more i go down i'll be there early april so just uh just something to maybe start uh brainstorming and and thinking about and planning accordingly so that's it special thanks to jimmy martin today for editing the here we are podcast and providing the outro music by the long hunt if you want to hear more great indie music check out the jimmy fro podcast Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorite.